Well, good morning. Get your Bibles and open to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Our second week in our Summer of Psalms. It is a privilege and honor to be here to preach to you His Word this morning. Uh, this psalm is one of three psalms that uh, in the uh, fifth book of the psalms that begin with the phrase, praise the Lord. It's a hallelujah psalm. It's also an acrostic uh, poem. In the Hebrew, the 22 lines of this uh, psalm uh, start with the Hebrew, words, uh, Hebrew letters of the alphabet as well. So let's uh, read this psalm together this morning. Psalm 111, this is the word of God. Holy and accurate and true, Lord, may you press this truth down deep into our hearts today. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be, to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's pray. Father, truly... You are good. We have rehearsed your goodness over these songs we've sang this morning. We've heard of your goodness proclaimed already from this pulpit, from the scriptures we, re we read from Psalm 119. Lord, you are a great God. And the psalmist commands us, encourages us to praise you this morning. Lord, we pray that that would be the result from reflecting on your word this morning in Psalm 111. Lord, help us to understand you. Help us to dive deep into you. Help us to study you and delight in you because of our time here today. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. One of the most famous sentences that start a novel is this. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I can hear some of you whispering it out there. That's the way Charles Dickens starts his novel, A Tale of Two Cities. Very quoted, very familiar, very true. It can be said, couldn't it, of this time that we live in right now? It is the best of times. It is the worst of times. Life is full 
of great times. Babies being born, jobs started, colleges launched, houses being built, houses being renewed, things happening good in our lives. It's the best of times. But also life is full of challenges and hurts and pains. The worst of times. Sickness, cancers, illnesses, jobs lost, layoffs, the culture around, the culture around us pressing in on us in ungodly ways. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God always has an answer for how we should respond, whether it is the best of times or the worst of times. The psalmist here gives what I believe to be a timeless response to whatever the times may bring, whether it is the best of times or the worst of times. Psalm 111 is a psalm for all time. We're going to ask four questions of the psalmist today. Simply these, what, where, why, and who? And the answer to these questions, the timeless response will help us in living during these, during these incredible times. Let's get started. Number one, what is the question? What? And the answer is, look at verse one, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The psalmist starts this psalm like Psalm 112 and 13 and 113 with the same exclamation, praise the Lord. It is a, it is a cry. It is a command. It is an admonition. Praise the Lord. Praise is the declaring of God's greatness and goodness. It is a remembering and reciting of his attributes. When we praise our wife or our husband or our children, we're telling the goodness about them, how wonderful they are, how good they are. When we praise our sports team or some child who's a great pitcher or can kick the ball really far, we talk about those attributes about them. When we praise a child who's well-mannered, we say, oh, you're so sweet. You're such a great kid. You, we talk about those attributes, don't we? We remember and we declare the greatness and goodness, and such it is with our God. We praise God with our mouths as we sing and recount His blessings. We praise God as we lift up our hands to Him. But here, the psalmist gets right to the deepest organ of praise. Our heart. Our heart. The psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Notice as he kind of commands himself or commands us, praise the Lord, then he responds, like a call and response, praise the Lord, then he responds, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. The heart, the whole self, the thing that is the wellspring of the soul, it's what the mouth speaks out of, isn't it? As our Lord tells us in Luke 6, 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Stuff that comes out of my mouth comes from somewhere, doesn't it? It doesn't just come under my mouth from somewhere else, and then suddenly we want to say that, don't we? Honey, I didn't really mean to say that. Some little elf came and put this thing in there, and it kind of popped out, right? Right? Or honey, no, you know, to your husband, to your wife, to your children. 
How often are we doing that? The, the, the mouth opens and outspills these words and we're like trying to pull them back in. I didn't really mean that. What did you mean? Where did that come from? It came from out of the heart. Jesus confronts the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 1 through 9 because of their hearts. The Pharisees and scribes in uh, chapter 15, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they said this, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Okay, what's the, big, what's the big issue here? What's the big issue about praise and worship? What's the big issue about what they're doing wrong? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Jesus answers them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. And Jesus then says this to them, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We need to listen to Jesus as he talks to the Pharisees, don't we? That they are a people who could honor God with their lips. Out of their mouth come wonderful praises. Praise the Lord. God, you're great. But their hearts are far from him. How often has it been that, that I've been singing and, and we're singing the last song and you've got your hands lifted and you're singing, you know, praise the name. I wonder what's for lunch. Oh, man, I'm really, my stomach is really growling, right? Am I... My lips are saying one thing. My hands are doing something. I have the position of righteousness and proclamation of greatness. But instead, my heart is not maybe all there. The psalmist says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. The psalmist gives a declaration of his devotion. And we know... This reminds me of, of a vow given at a wedding. The traditional vows. I will love you. I will honor you till death do us part. I will, I will, I will, even if I will. We all know, those of us who have rehearsed those vows and said those vows, know, even in the saying, that we will not be able to keep those vows like that perfectly, will we? And so... Should we just say, you know what? I read a pastor this week who was saying he tried to write the, you know, this, the new vows, and then he tried to even make up his own vows where he said he was so convicted by these vows of I will do this and I will do that that he said, he, he started to write it and say, I, I will try. <laughs> I, I'll try to do this, and I'll, I'll try to do that. And then his, the well-meaning pastor who was officiating over his sermon, over his uh, wedding, said, no, let's not, no, we're going to say I'll try. <laughs> we know that we're going to give that declaration with God's help, I will do this. I feel that from the psalmist. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. But there are moments, aren't there, when we're half-hearted people. We're not whole-hearted people. We're not wholly devoted to the Lord. And so there, the psalmist in 119 helps us. We even read this this morning, and it's in my notes today. Psalm 119, 32-32, the psalmist says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. 
I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Friend, today, if you say praise the Lord, but you can't praise Him with your whole heart, confess it, admit it, cry out to God and say, God, I will praise you, enlarge my heart. Give me a greater capacity to praise you. Give me a whole heart, Lord. Help my devotion be true and right before you. Praise the Lord and ask God to enlarge your heart, to increase your heart, to give your whole heart to Him. Well, number two, the next question was where? What are we to do? We are to praise the Lord. Where are we to praise? Look at verse 1b. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Where? In the company of the upright, in the congregation. In the company of the upright, in the congregation. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says this regarding worship. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in His presence with our voices and hearts. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Brothers and sisters, in the best of times and in the worst of times, we need to praise God not just in our hearts alone, but worship Him in full-hearted devotion with the saints. With the saints. We need to be in the congregation. We need to be in church. And if you don't understand that, you probably were absent for all of the COVID time, right? You were on another planet somewhere, possibly. When we get shut down and we're not able to come together as a congregation, we need to be with the saints. We need to hear you singing. We need to hear you uh, worshiping. We need to be encouraged by your laughter and your songs and your conversation. As you spur me on into love and good deeds, I need to be here. We need to be together here in the congregation of the upright. That is where God has called us to worship Him. That's where God has called us to worship Him. Recently, uh, Linda and I were celebrating our anniversary. No, 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 not our anniversary. What were we celebrating? We're celebrating my birthday. <laughs> anniversary. It's all about you, Kevin. So, so we're celebrating my birthday. I'm totally, our anniversary's coming, August 20th. Yes, I know. See, okay. So, we're, we're, we're sorry. And so we went to the movies. And I was joking with Linda because we're at the Rolling Hills 20 over here, right here close to us up the street, right? Dropped off Hayden with uh, Kovals, redeeming a little, uh, you know, Hayden sitting uh, coupon from them. And, went, and went, went out, you know, to go eat dinner and go up to the movies. We walk in and we get our seats and we're sitting there right where we want a seat. And I went back to use the restroom and then came back out or get a Coke or something. And it was just my wife sitting there all by herself. And I said, honey, look around you. This is how I roll, right? <laughs> I rented out the entire theater for just the two of us to watch this movie together. And it was the perfect because it was the quiet place, and it was very quiet, very quiet. It was great. It was great to watch a movie in a theater all by ourselves. 
right? I could do whatever I wanted. I mean, no, I, no one's going to, you know, Linda laughs loud. I'd say, yeah, I scream, you know, when the thing jumps out. No one, you know, it's great. It was wonderful. That's okay for a movie, but that's not okay for church. Church is not an individualistic activity. The worship of God, yes, I can be in my prayer closet, of course. I can have my private quiet times, but that is not what we're made for. There's those times of special time to be alone together with the Lord weekly, daily, but, but, but we need to be in the congregation. Here we gather with brothers and sisters. Here we meet with the redeemed. Here we fight the increasingly individualistic, autonomous spirit of our culture, and we worship our God together. Here we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We are a church, and we are the congregation of the upright. This is where we are called to be. So we praise the Lord. What? We praise the Lord. Where? In the congregation. Why? For his great works. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. An interesting phrase, isn't it? Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Joe Rigney, pastor, writes this about this, this scripture. He says, Psalm 111, 2 reminds us of a fundamental principle. Delight leads to study. Delight leads to study. A lover can recall every feature of his beloved's face. A mother knows every dimple, hair, and birthmark on her baby's body, right? When we recognize something as full of splendor and majesty, careful attention is no chore. When we're fascinated, when we marvel at some wonder, when our hearts rise with delight in some reality, the natural and unavoidable response is to move further up and further in to seek after the objection of our affection, to devote concentrated effort to observing, understanding, and evaluating what we love, and then to feel, apply, and express what we have seen. The greatest example I can think of this really is, is actually Pastor Jeff Lewis uh, at the birth of Joel. And he's talking to the elders, you know, first grandson, right? And there, there he is, and, and he's telling us about his grandson. How's he doing? And he said, he says, I can't stop looking at him. I, I, just, I just can't get enough. I just can't get enough. Those things that we delight in, we study. What is it you're studying? What are you spending time in? What are you devoting your attention to? Where is all of your study? That's what you delight in. And the psalmist tells us, Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. One theologian has referred to this as a blessed despair. Listen to what he says. The, the despair of intensely searching out God's nature and finding His nature is infinitely, de, infinitely beyond what one can learn 
one has learned or can learn or reason. The study of God produces a profound despair, but it's a blessed despair because it leads one to wonder and worship, and this glorifies God and fulfills the human soul. God is unlike a baby or, or math or history or science. God himself, when we study God, we can't get to the bottom of God, right? And so there's this blessed despair in that I want to know more. If I really love the Lord, I want to delve deep into who he is and his attributes and his wonder and his greatness, and I want to go more and more and more. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Psalm 145.3 says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. God's greatness is unsearchable. We can just keep delving and exploring and going and going and going. And we'll never reach the end of His greatness and His goodness. That we'll always find more to praise of Him. You see, we are finite. We are finite. And, we, and even in heaven, we're not going to know it all. That's one of the ways that heaven is not going to be boring because we'll be able to continue to explore God's greatness and goodness and his universe and go further and further, as C.S. Lewis says, further up and further in. Wonderful. We groan. We groan and we glorify like all of creation. We groan and we glorify. Romans 8, 22, 23 says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We're part of creation, aren't we? We groan. We ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so we study God, we go deeper and deeper, and we have this groaning and this glory that comes together as we delight in Him. Something that I used to say often as I taught theology was this. The more we know, the more we see. And the more we see, the more we love. The more we know, the more we see. The more we see, the more we love. Now, I'll illustrate it this way. Uh, most of you probably know this about me. Uh, I, Kevin is not a football guy. Okay? I just, uh, the football gene was left out of me somewhere. When I was in high school, and I grew up in, in North Texas. I mean, that's where Friday Night Lights came. That's all Friday, it was, Friday Night Lights, right? Football, Texas football. It's bigger there. I mean, they got stadiums that look like professional football <laughs> places, you know, that, in high school football. And so guys would ask me, you know, I'd meet a guy and he says, hey, you, you know, son, you play football? And I would say, no, I read. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was shoved in a lot of lockers as a high school kid, but I would say I, I liked it in there because it was quiet and I could read, okay? So when I go sit with a friend who likes to watch football, and I, sometimes I will tolerate that. You know that my, the joke here with the Bryan family is that we have on Super Bowl Sunday, we call that Pride and Prejudice Sunday. We watch five hours of Pride and Prejudice instead of the <laughs> Super Bowl. So if I w sit and watch football, I don't know much. I, I don't have the patience for it. I don't know much. And so guess what? Since I don't know much, my friend's like, dude, you see that? You see that? Nope. <laughs> I saw some guys running about in little, you know, in cute little uniforms and throwing things back and forth. You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, I used to, anyway. So all that said, I don't know much, so I don't see much. When we know more of God in theology, when we study him, 
the more we know, the more we see of him. The more we see of him, the more we delight in him. And guess what? The more I delight in God, the more I want to know. That's the way relationship works. When we're dating someone and we're courting and we see someone, we say, wow, I kind of know something about her and I, and I see more about her. And the more I see, the more I love and the, the more I want to know. And it's this wonderful upward spiral. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. We delight in the works of the Lord. We delight in the works of the Lord. We delight in them. And listen, we delight in them because we delight in Him. We delight in them because we delight in Him. There are three things I see in this passage where we can delight. You can add these to your notes. Number one, His creation. Number two, His character. And number three, his covenant. His creation, his character, his covenant. The psalmist uh, in the next passages talks about that. Let's look first at uh, verse 3 here. Verse 3 here, the psalmist kind of launches us off. He says, full of splendor and majesty is his work. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. And that deals, I believe, with his creation. His creation is full of splendor and majesty. Psalm 97, 1 through 6 says this, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes up before him all and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. Brothers and sisters, he is the God who has created the lightning storm and the lightning bug. Okay, or you may have called him the firefly. So you can say it another way. He is the God who created the fire of the volcano and the fire bug. <laughs> the firefly, thank you. The firefly, right? Both these things, incredible, amazing. When I was in North Carolina a few weeks, uh, a few years ago, my wife and I were traveling there, a friend of ours said, there's this little valley there outside of Asheville where people come all, all around for one week to see this little lightning bug show, this firefly show, because there, there's a certain firefly that, that shines blue. Everywhere else in the south and all around, usually there's this kind of an orangey yellow, yellow color. But here the fireflies are, are blue, almost like this neon blue, and people will come and camp out and stay and wait in this little valley that only happens as one place to see all these little fireflies for about one week to go off and do the little blue light show. Amazing. God is amazing. His creation is amazing. I was hiking one time in Yosemite, backpacking, and I remember hiking along and looking down at this granite shelf that I was walking on. It's just a solid, hard granite, and there's a tiny crack, and out of this tiny crack is this little dainty flower. And I just, I, I'm drawn to it. I get down, I look down, I'm looking at, getting as close as I can to see the symmetry, the beauty, the petals are so tiny, the little blue dots around the corner, and all this little thing that you're thinking, how could anyone create or design something so dainty and so frail but so beautiful as i'm looking at this little tiny thing i stop for a minute i look up and there is el capitan <laughs> right this cliff where you can fall a mile 
okay, literally on El Capitan. There's this amazing granite rock face. And I'm thinking to myself, the God who created this also created that. Tiny, beautiful, amazing, and awesome, and incredible. I just ran into Pastor Kenny right before church, and he was saying they just got back from being at the Grand Canyon. And they did what we did with Hayden when Hayden first saw it. And my wife said, let's we'll take Hayden to the edge, and we get him there, and there's some bushes blocking the, the view, and so we make Hayden close his eyes. And Kenny said that that's what him and Tessie did with the kids. They had them close their eyes, and you walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? And then say, okay, open your eyes. <laughs> you know, and the, it's astounding, right? Right? You're, you, you, it's just multiple la- layers of perception. Wow. 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 <laughs> right? Vertigo almost immediately. Don't push me, Dad, right? <laughs> None of that. And so that is what it's like, right, when we see creation, God's creation. The great red spot of Jupiter, the great red spot of Jupiter is an anticyclonic storm on Jupiter that can be likened to the worst hurricanes on Earth. It's an ancient storm. It's so large that three Earths can fit inside it. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. His character, his works are great. His creation is great. Secondly, his character, his character. Look at uh, verse 3. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. His righteousness endures forever. We have a righteous God. And I I want to challenge us to think, how long does your righteousness last? C.S. Lewis has said that that people think it's easy to be good have never really tried. Right? If you determined, that's it. Today's the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Today I will guard my tongue all day long. I'm going to do it. I will do it. Right? We pray about it. We ask God for his help. And then we walk out and say, why are the dishes still out there? You know, what are they, what, you know, why is the, you know, out it comes, right? We go to the workplace. My righteousness doesn't often practically endure very long, but God's righteousness endures forever. Look at verse 4. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. Look at this about his character. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He is gracious. We are saved by grace through faith. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. Salvation is this gift of God that we cannot earn, right? And then He's merciful. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. Verse 5, He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. Verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nation. Verse 7, look at this about his character. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Everything that comes from his hands is faithful. It will never break down. It will always do exactly what it needs to do. He is always just. There's much talk in this nation now of of justice. Our God is always just. And his precepts are trustworthy. Everything that comes from his mouth, we can trust it. It will never, ever 
fail. Look at verse 9. He sent redemption to his people and he's commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. There's only one being in the universe that we can describe that way. You can't say of any member here, Madhu, Hope, Deborah, Warren, holy and awesome is Deborah's name. You would say blasphemy, right? No, she cringes up here. Yes. But God, right? Holy, holy, set apart, pure, perfect, righteous, true, and awesome is his name, his character. We can praise him for his, his creation. We can praise him for his character. We can praise him also for his covenant, his covenant. Look at verse 5 and 9. It's really interesting. The covenant of God is mentioned here in two different places, verse 5 and verse 9. And it's interesting how we put both these things. We have on one level the most basic of needs, and then on another the most ultimate of needs. So first, look at verse 5, his covenant. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. We pray at lunch when you're sitting there at, at islands or wherever it is you're sitting. You're having your peanut butter and jelly sandwich at the house. Something so simple and a glass of milk, right? And you pray, God, thank you for this food. We can say, thank you that you remember your covenant we thank you for this covenantal meal. You have remembered your covenant and you are feeding me. You are taking care of me. Why? Because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because we are part of your people. We are the people of God. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. But then look at this, verse 9. Look at the other aspect of his covenant that the psalmist shows us here. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. He has sent his salvation. He has saved us, not only taking care of our physical needs of nourishment, but also nourished us through salvation with his covenant. God remembers his covenant and feeds his people with bread. And he's remembered his covenant by giving his people the bread of life. Jesus says this in Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has instituted the new covenant that we are part of. And he remembers that covenant. Not only does he give us bread, but he gives us the bread of life. He himself, he gives us himself. And so we know that he will always remember that covenant and we can praise God for that, can't we? So what? We praise the Lord. Where? In the congregation. Why? For his great works, his work of creation, his work of his character, and his work of his covenant. In verse 4, our final question, who? Who? And we answer the question this way, all who desire wisdom. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Notice this. The end of wisdom is not the fear of the Lord. 
The end of wisdom is not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You don't take a ladder of wisdom and, 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 and climb to the top of wisdom's ladder and there you find God. No, Scripture tells us you set your ladder on the rock that is the fear of the Lord and you begin to climb. Wisdom starts with God. Wisdom starts with God. That's why our culture is so messed up right now. There is no wisdom because there is no fear of God. There is no wisdom because there is no fear of God. Fear of God produces wisdom. Fear of God produces wisdom. Why are we being told to call a boy a girl and a girl a boy? Because there's no wisdom. There's no wisdom. Some call it common sense. It's just wisdom because there's no fear of God. There's no wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we set our ladder on the rock and we begin to climb. And as we climb, we become more and more wise. The fear of the Lord allows us to see everything else. Listen to me. The fear of the Lord allows us to see and to judge everything else. It is through this lens by which we understand man, sin, math, history, science, the stars, the universe, everything that has been created. That's where we begin. And many of the great things that have happened in, this, in Western culture are because early scientists were God-fearing men and women. And because of their fear of God, they went out and they explored and, 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 and learned and studied because, oh my goodness, look at what God has created. There is a universe, and Jesus is the uni that makes the verse hold together. <laughs> the universe, the oneness. All comes from God because He is all and is in all. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember this. Jesus is the Lord of all. Jesus is the Lord of two plus two. Jesus is the Lord of all math. An atheist can't do math without Jesus. He can reject Jesus, but he has to borrow from Jesus to do math. An atheist has to borrow from us to speak properly because all words come from our Lord and our Savior. Jesus is Lord. He is either Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. Colossians 1, 15-20 tells us about our precious Savior. He says this, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You hear that? And in him all things hold together. The reason you're not puffing into not nothingness is because Jesus is holding us. He's holding you. He's keeping you in mind. And he is the head of the body of the church he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As we close, I want to encourage you with five forevers in this passage. Five forevers that we should remember. Five forevers. Number one, his righteousness endures forever. Number two, he remembers his covenant forever. Number three, his precepts are established forever. Number four, he has commanded his covenant forever. And finally, the psalmist ends like this. His praise endures forever. So brothers and sisters, as we remember the greatness and goodness of our Lord, and I didn't even spend time going through the, all of the Old Testament. We'll do that today at the church history class. If you want to study the things of the Lord, come today at 2 o'clock to be in Pastor Kenny's church history class as we look back and remember all the great things that God has done. But we're not just a, a church or a people of looking back. All these forevers help us to look forward, forward to these forevers, His righteousness, His covenant, His precepts, His praise endures forever. And we can be encouraged that we also will endure forever. We'll be the ones that will be there praising Him forever in heaven with all those who love Him. We'll continue to be in a congregation, not some one little individualistic autonomous person there in heaven by himself in a little closet with his eyes closed saying, I love you, Lord, and I love... No. A multitude of every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? Gathered. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, but your little peniannimous praise isn't enough for the great God. <laughs> he needs, he desires, he wants praise from a multitude of people, from all the earth, from every believer that he's ever created. Friends, I do believe we find ourselves in the best of times. There's so many great things about where we are in this nation. Technology, wealth, prosperity, all the wonderful things we have that we can be so thankful for, our families. But I also believe as well, it is the worst of times as we face the things that aren't that different from Noah's time. All throughout history, the world has been a mixed bag. Sinners and saints all thrown in together. And so let us praise our amazing God together, even when it's the best or the worst of times. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this time this morning. Lord, you have been so gracious to us and kind by speaking to us through your word. We thank you for this psalm today that we could just dip our toe in your awesomeness this morning. Lord, may we be a people who do groan for your coming who groan in desperation for your goodness and your greatness in our own lives. May we be a people who glory in your greatness as well. We thank you for your grace that's been revealed through this covenant in your son's blood. We thank you that we are part of that covenant 
and that covenant lasts forever. You will never, ever forget us. You will never, ever leave us. We pray for those today who have heard this message, who have yet to put their hope and trust in you. We pray for those who are still in their own foolishness because they don't fear you, and so they can't be wise. We pray for the culture around us, Lord, that we would be bold toward the culture and continue to speak of the truth of the gospel to them, that they may fear you and know you and become wise as well. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.